welcome back to Squawking Dead. And guess what? We are Squawking Dead. You, me, everybody. And check this out. Um, before we get to start the show, I uh, just wanted to give a big shout out to Eye of the Dark 2 for helping out last week. Hi there, I see you. And the stream should be a lot more stable this time around. Um, so I also wanted to kind of kick off the show by saying, rip Jesus. It, it's kind of unfortunate. Um, we we had such high hopes and, and really wanted to see more out of the character. Um, I, I think Tom Payne was dealt a kind of a crappy hand in that respect. And uh, especially given the fact that, you know, we just did an interview with them, with him. And, you know, even that interview got botched. And it's it, it just like a slew of just misfortune and, and missed opportunities, I think, all around. And uh, I think, um, yeah, it's just a shame. And just thinking about it out loud, um, you know, one of the things that um, that that made that interview happen too, just just um, just kind of say it out loud, was um, we had Crack and Rum give us the opportunity to to interview Jesus before. Obviously, the series of misfortune, series of events that kind of led to his death, um, and which would have been really good for us, I think, <laughs> end of the day. Um, and uh, I think it's kind of great uh, that, uh, you know, with all the trials and tribulations that we had trying to get to that event, uh, try to get to that interview, and, and even the tight schedule that we had to kind of fill it, uh, I think it was great. And so one of the things that um, Kraken wanted to ask us was about the spot. And if you guys haven't seen the Kraken rum spot that, that uh, Jesus did, go check it out on the internet. It's kind of, kind of cool. There's a lot of special effects, and it's all kind of centered around... Um, Basically, I mean, the, I guess kind of the Kraken, the idea that Tom Payne is kind of like this sexy piratey character who comes out of blue and, and you know, he's all awash, you know, and and, if, and he gets really, really dramatic and really into it. And, and that's actually kind of fantastic to watch him do this. So I, I recommend checking that out. Um, shout out to Kraken Rum, too, because not only were they really great about um, hooking this interview up, um, I've had Kraken Rum at bachelor bachelor parties, and it's the bomb. Uh, so, uh, and, and every time you literally lift off the cap, it's like, release the Kraken, and it's, it's just a really good time. So just letting you know, that is not an advertisement. So... <laughs> We're not getting paid for this. It's just it's just kind of like a thank you and um, genuine reaction to that sort of thing. But with that being said, it's time to get into the mid-season finale coverage of The Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 8, Evolution. Um, anticlimactic, right? It's just me and you guys, uh, and we're going to be crushing this sucker together. So um, first thing right off the bat, have you noticed the intros right off the top of the show? Um, it was Andrew Lincoln for the first five, uh, Norman Reedus for... I think the last two, if I'm not mistaken, yes, yes, yeah, and then and now we've got Denai Guerrera as Michonne uh, saying last time on Walking Dead. Yeah, I think this this stream is going to be a lot more stable. I have some new equipment, and I cannot wait to do, use some special effects for these live streams. As you can see, there's if you are watching the podcast, there are no like special wave effects or anything like that at the moment. Um, but hopefully, at some point, I'm going to be doing some cool special effects for the just basically the audio waves and stuff like that for the live show. And so uh, I think as the podcast, I mean, obviously we're going to be in the, we're in the mid season break. Um, so there's gonna, there's going to be a lot of time to develop that sort of thing, you know, going forward. So. I'm confident now that we can actually do some cool things. Uh, we can, you know, obviously increase the quality of this podcast dramatically now that we have some new equipment. 
and and no more hard drive crashing and no more streams cutting out. This is it, folks. I mean, I'm probably going to be able to stream at better frame rates and stuff like that, you know, given that fact and, and maybe even some higher bit rates. Um, but for right now, yeah, you got me. I'm right here. Let's do this. Um, first things first. Yeah, so we, we got that out of the way. Michonne's actually, Michonne opened the show this time around. I think it's kind of cool. I, th- I think it's a lot better than that AMC, um, you know, the standard AMC last time, The Walking Dead. You know, it's, it's like, you know, get it personal. This is the cash cow we're talking about here. So, I mean, why not, right? Um, actually, you should have characters from The Walking Dead announcing other shows, okay? Like, well, is Billions uh, AMC? No, is that even on TV anymore? Who knows? Anyway, so that's what, how it should be. Like, Norma Reedus should be announcing other shows on AMC. Like, Preacher. Like, screw it. Why not? So, okay, one thing to note about the show is that the show is actually directed by Matt, Michael Satrazimus. And if you don't know Michael Satrazimus, get really familiar with him because... Um, he has done directing for The Walking Dead before. He's done camera work. Um, and he did uh, many of our favorite episodes. And I mentioned this last week. Many of our favorite episodes on Fear the Walking Dead. Among them being Laura. I mean, everybody's favorite from that season. Um, and then, of course, my personal favorite from Fear the Walking Dead was Close Your Eyes. Which, that was the bottle episode with, um, with uh, Alicia and, um, and Charlie. And it's simply like, it's just a, a, just a masterpiece from just the visuals, just the way they, they, they crafted the actual episode, the writing, it's, everything just came together. The director of photography, Adam Sushitsky getting involved. Uh, this time around, we got Stephen Campbell as uh, director of photography. Um, Michael Satrazimus is directing. And, you know, obviously Greg Nicotero on effects. Um, but it, they all kind of just poured everything into this episode. And, and it all shows, too. If you, if you really take a look at their work, uh, this episode, um, like even the way, um, and this is more of an editing thing, uh, like near the end of the episode, you know, some of the, the fight scenes, how they kind of slowed things down, sped things up. I, it's, it was very like God of War-like if you really kind of took a look at it, too. Like, uh, I mean, I, don't, I haven't played God of War, but of course, I mean, how can you avoid some of the promos and, and seeing people basically, um, you know, oh, people, uh, what was the guy's name and uh, who cares? The, the, the main protagonist kind of like doing those slow-mo counter attacks and stuff like that, like full motion video kind of stuff. And, and Jesus got to basically go out styling all the way because of this too, which is really great. Um, but, uh, I mean, terrific job. I mean, some of the things that I, I, I am going to be pointing out some of the choices that they made in terms of how they filmed this episode, uh, just as an example. And if you keep, if you watch this episode again, and I'm sure if you're, you know, walking dead fans like I am, um, you're going to be watching this episode over and over again. Um, because yes. And yes, Michael Satrazimus is super nice. He's very involved in the community. In fact, in case you didn't know, um, Michael Satrazimus is actually, I think, the one who kind of leaked the, the cat out of the bag publicly about Andrew Lincoln leaving. I think he went on the assumption that people had already known about it, and he kind of just said, oh, uh, we're going to miss you, Andy. And then, like, you know, basically confirming all the already spread rumors. And I, and I don't think people are saying this, but he's just such a nice guy that he just kind of, you know, kind of blew it. But I mean, I mean, so it's it's totally forgivable when you think about it. 
But um, but yeah, I mean, if you're fans like us, you're going to be watching this episode over and over again to kind of see things. And obviously, I have to do that anyway to get notes. But the more I watch this episode, the more I see certain things. Um, and I'll explain some of those things r- later um, later on because, it, like, you know, the comparison between first watch and, and, and second watch. And one of these things right now is um, this first shot. Um, you have you have you have them all. You have Aaron and Daryl and uh, and Jesus out in the field and basically you know looking at the walkers and milling around in the field and if you notice um right after they start walking away um you have this shot with the walkers and i mean just it's it's storycraft if you think about it if you look at the if you look at that shot the the walkers are all blurry as if to as if to say to kind of like say that yeah, these are the fake ones these are the ones that kind of blend in they're they're all like monoculture type walkers right and then it's it actually hones in on the very walk of the very whisperer that ends up killing Jesus at the end of the episode, um, like denoting the fact that this one is not your typical walker. This this guy is the whisperer. So it, it wasn't random. It was you know I mean obviously you know that it wasn't random. We all know it wasn't random, but it happens so happens to be the very same walker that well the whisperer that ends him. So. It's just one of those things that you don't really notice at first watch when you when you watch it and you're like, oh, that son of a bitch, that's the guy that 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 killed my man. So I kind of I kind of and I'll be doing this again. I'll be watching this episode again to the point where I think I'll and this happens sometimes. I'll be like watching a, an episode again and I'll be like, oh god, I wish I said that on the podcast. I really do wish I I meant to say this on the podcast. I didn't even write this down. Oh my god, but yeah. Um, and I'll be pointing out some other things, especially when you take into account the sneak peeks. Um, when you take into account the sneak peeks that they've been putting in cleverly at the end of the episodes too, by the way, um, it's not even a matter of, uh, you know, here, here's the next episodes that are, you know, upcoming episodes, you know, here's, here's what to expect in the second half of the, of, of the season. There's deli- there's a deliberate um, letting out some air from that season. That's each scene in that in that um, upcoming, uh, you know, the back eight basically. Um, they're so deliberate uh, in what they decide to show you in the sneak peeks. It, you know how sometimes a sneak peek or a trailer or something like that basically spoils the whole movie. This does the exact opposite. This basically, um, in fact, they did this also in the, right before they went into the time jump, you know, the, basically the thank you, Andy, goodbye, Andy episode, uh, episode five. When they, right before they went to the time jump in episode six, they, they actually had previews for the, for like basically what was going to happen in the next couple episodes before the mid-season finale, right? And they let out facts, um, that were deliberately piquing your interest, not like spoiling the next couple episodes or, you know, obviously the rest of the season. But and not only that, it answers some questions or at least gives you a little bit of a nugget to hold you over until the next season. And I'll explain that a little bit later, because when you watch the episode again and watch the sneak peeks again, you start to notice that, oh, wait, and you have to have your pause button ready too. you have to have your remote or your mouse or whatever it is that you're watching it on. You have to have it ready because when you see these scenes, it's not just Rambo, Donkey Kong, uh, Ryan Hurst as beta. It's not just stuff like that. There are specific frames and scenes and when you watch it you're like this answers something or at least begins to start to answer something um that's going to happen or that explains a lot of this not the first half but like the last two uh three episodes and it's really cool so um i'm actually going to go through this episode linear if i can (laughs) linearly 
um, because I kind of want to I want to sp- slow burn this episode. I, I want to take my time with this one too. And um, and I and I in the dark too is uh, joining me for the ride. Hey, quick question by the way. Um, I didn't notice until now that you have I in the dark two Ted at the end. Um, if you could explain that, uh, that would be great because <laughs> I'd really like to know. Um, now, if you remember, Squawking Dead kind of came on the scene on episode, sorry, on season eight, the beginning of season eight, actually. So we kind of got in, we, we were able to get in at the entry level of season eight and, and cover that, that, um, that season beginning to end. And one of the first few scenes uh, of real interest, because we were kind of waiting for this, this scene, this, this kind of almost um, background scene, or um, almost like a retrospective on Negan. Like, we wanted a little bit of, of an origin story. And the closest that we got to it at the beginning of season eight was the scene with Father Gabriel and Negan in the trailer. And so I think, it's, I, I think you and I would agree that it makes sense. The way that Negan escapes originally in the comics is kind of like this random kiddo. It lets him out but the fact that it's this scene with gabe and gabe kind of and and in the trailer scene with negan you'll notice that they're both doing this game of trying to manipulate the other you know trying to figure out how to manipulate the other um gabe is kind of taking advantage and um <laughs> okay thanks for answering the question about the ted thing oh man that's terrible i'm so sorry um <laughs> so i am the dark two twd but you got to fix it later okay cool um, so yeah, in the trailer, basically, they're basically trying to play off of each other um, it, using their own style of manipulation or their own style of kind of wheedling into one another. Um, and it works. Negan, if you notice, will reveal the truth in order to weaponize it, to kind of use it against other people. He does not um, hold back from using truths, his own truths to kind of get get under people's skin or in, in one way or the other too. Uh, Father Gabriel has more of like an open approach. He kind of leaves himself open as well, but in a different way. Um, he's very honest, but not in a kind of weaponizing way. If you notice that the scene with Anne, um, just before she kind of bolts from him, he uses his 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 faith in a way, his, his, his truth, his forgiveness, his ability to comprehend people and then put his life on the line to kind of bet on others to really, um, you know, get them to kind of cop on to what he's trying to say and so he i'm not saying he weaponizes that but he uses that in order to kind of you know get get in on the ground level with negan and you know he's really trying trying his best i think he really thinks that he was able to get somewhere with him in the trailer revealing some of his truths um i mean they did have some altercation ish stuff going on here and there but at the end of the day um it's just fitting that it's him it's fitting that that he was the one to really do things you know to really kind of try to heal him um, and it's even more fitting the fact that it, he, the tables are kind of turned. I mean, Negan himself at the trailer was in a, in a kind of a low moment. I mean, his, his place is being overrun. He's got to take care of business. Rick just fired off a whole bunch of machine guns and, and well, nothing really happened. Well, except for the saviors at the top dying, you know, uh, the armed saviors at the top. But um, uh, so he was kind of in a spot. Um, and you could even say that it was kind of tense because you didn't know what was going to really happen. I mean, we all kind of thought Father Gabriel was going to die in that scene, and he kind of almost did. Um, kind of tense if when you think about it, and especially when you consider what Gabriel's journey throughout that season after that scene too, and, and you know, getting so sick that he lost vision in one eye, and you know, almost dying, Doctor Carson dying, that all of that. So, I mean, it's it's really it's just something to consider. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. 
Um, yeah. So, and yeah, and like I said, he only lets people in on his own terms, and, and that's the thing. Like when, when, when this, when the trailer scene was kind of happening, there's a heightened tension. He needs to get out of a situation, uh, and he, I think he figured that if he let, you know, weaponized his own truth, um, he could get Father Gabriel to cooperate with him in order to get out of a bad situation. So. Uh, the thing about that is, is that um, in this scenario, he's in a shitty situation. There's no way out. I think he's all but kind of given up. Uh, he sees no way out. Um, it's kind of like when that scene with Maggie. Instead of kind of what Maggie noticed at first, and, this, and I mentioned this in the episode where Maggie tries to kill Negan. Um, Maggie immediately notices that Negan isn't trying to go after her. Like Negan isn't trying to squirrel out. He's not going to use his words. He's going to use his brute force to try to get out. But she notices that she does what he says. Um <laughs> Gabriel forgets the lock gates. That's that's a good one. You're you're absolutely right. It's just his thing. Um, I in the dark too says this by the way. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um yeah. Maggie notices that she does what he says. He does what she says right away. It's, it's just immediately wrong. Um, you know, hands behind his back. You know, kneeling down, basically praying, and then you know, obviously he ends up kind of just telling her, "Just kill me already." You know, what the hell are you waiting for? Um. And so you have the same situation here. I mean, he's kind of reached kind of an equilibrium. He's being treated better. I mean, he's he's kind of just fallen into where he is and he kind of accepts it. And I think the idea of hope for him in that scenario or, or like a means to try to find meaning is, is almost pointless for him because what's the point of meaning if, uh, meaning if you're not going to be able to get out and exercise that? And Negan is a man of action. You know, he's a man who is in charge too. You know, so when you really think about it, don't, don't get him to feel something that he's not going to feel because it's it's pointless if he's not like in some sort of leadership role if he's not in some at least in some sort of educational role or trying to steer people in a certain direction it, there's just no point it's not it's not and in the end of the day it's not even about Negan uh, if you really really go deep on him um, Negan is a man who wants to save people like his methods may be bananas but at the end of the day that's what he was all about and yeah if he gets a little glory in the process fine or little perks right so, yeah, I mean, you see him get nowhere. And then at the end of the day, um, you see the hilltop spears in the background. Uh, among them being, I hope, a C. Thomas Howell, but you can't really tell because uh, the, the, the hilltop spear that, that looks kind of like C. Thomas Howell's in the distance. So if I really looked at the credits, I can probably easily see that he was not in this episode. And um, I was really hoping he was. It's just a random goddamn thing. Um, and, and, I, and I really love the actor and I kind of I kind of hope he kind of comes on again. Um, but anyway, they come. He gets the news. He fucks. Well, I'm mean, later. I mean, obviously, he fucks up. And Negan, obviously, while he's while he's in the cell, he's he's just going to have fun wherever he, wherever he can get it. And obviously, he doesn't know what's going on with with Father Gabriel, but He's pushed far too many buttons at this point, and I, it's over. I mean, Gabe is not putting up with it. As patient as he is, it's over. I mean, um, and and his impatience is kind of what gets Negan, you know, popped out of the joint. True. Um, had he kept his cool like he normally does, his forgiveness mode and everything like that, it kind of speaks to his feelings for Rosita, his feelings of helplessness, obviously, but, you know, obviously he cares about her a lot. Um, you know, six years is a long time to kind of get over some, you know, and uh, I don't really think, I don't know how long they were kind of going out. It doesn't No, I mean, you saw them kind of just kiss then. And a couple days later, 
bye bye. Um, so I think Rosita was another chance for him to kind of uh, get close, and I think maybe the years have been kind, and they've been together for a while. So seeing his reaction, losing his cool. Um, but what's really, really interesting is that Negan isn't without um, scruples, a, but b, also compassion. Uh, I think. He showed compassion to Gabe in the in the trailer. They kind of been through a lot. I mean, he he offered him medical care when um, when he started getting sick. You know, he wanted him to get better. All these things. So um, I think they have a kind of genuine connection. And if you really can think about it, six years is a long time. And they did kind of draw that out in the dialogue. How you know every time he comes in, every time he tries to help. And I think maybe they made some progress. But I mean, you know, you can't rely on Negan on, in terms of gauging how far he's come because he's always going to kind of, um, you know, bust your balls and stuff like that. So, um, but I think they really did have kind of a connection and and I just think he's not very comfortable with admitting to that too. So it, it remains to be seen, but I, I think, and I think that's probably what frustrates Gabriel the most is that he, he knows that he's got, he knows that they're kind of close. Um, and I think if, if you really think about it, you know, who are the people that you lose your cool with more? Uh, and I would have to say, it's if, uh, if I'm talking about myself, it's the people you feel close to in terms of blood, in terms of friends. I mean, when your friend does something stupid, it makes you really, really mad because, I mean, in a way, yeah, it does kind of reflect on you, but also it's kind of like, you know, you love them so much, you don't want them to hurt, you don't want them to, to do something that would hurt themselves, and so you get mad at them. It's like, it's like the mom who says, if you do that again, I'll kill you. You know, it's like, well, hold on. I thought you wanted me safe. No, 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 but I'll kill you. So, okay. All right, mom. No, no worries. Why does it always come back to my mom? Anyway, so, you know, if you, so that's, that's the thing. It like, especially, okay. Think about spousal relationships and yeah, I'm going there. Yeah. So Negan and Gabriel are kind of like spouses and, um, yeah, let's just go that way. Um, yeah. I mean, look, when you get mad, you're going to show your real reaction to your husband slash wife slash other partner. And so, because I mean, that's the honesty factor. I mean, you're gonna be the most real uh, with them. Yeah, I mean, you learn how to direct things in an appropriate manner, but at the end of the day, um, <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna give them their best self. Oh, hey, Miss Maisel, what's up? Hey, I in the dark t- too. Say hi to Miss Maisel. I mean, you're not on the same streams. You're on Instagram and you're on uh, YouTube Live. Um, but hey, I'm so glad you're here. Um, yeah, so you got up to the part with uh, Negan and Gabe, and you just missed it because we're going to move on. <laughs> um, I mean, the final bit really is that um, Gabriel is just feeling helpless, takes it out on Negan. Um, you know, even though Negan is trying to show compassion, and, it, and it's, you know, I, I guess that's just what happens. You, you get frustrated, you close the door without locking it, um, and uh, Negan gets out. And I um, guess he doesn't need that ball anymore. Uh, so yeah, oh, um, Miss Maisel, um, yeah, yeah, I guess you both said hi to each other on different streams, and I'm the facilitator of that. So my job here is done. Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go back to you, Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan this week. <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan uh, experience. And uh, Jake the Snake Roberts was on last week, I think it was, and he does a mean, awesome impression of uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, you know what, Miss Maisel, um, and I in the Dark too. Miss Maisel just said Gabriel has a bad habit of not locking gates. Also, you guys are so sharp. <laughs> let me let me tell you, you guys are so sharp. Okay, so here's the deal. <sighs> What do we see right from the top? The riders are coming, quote unquote. And I'm going to get into this full tilt because um, 
because this is going to be interesting. Um, I, and you know what? That's the thing. If, if you're going to go into something, just go into it all the way. And this is going to involve some of the sneak peeks and all that stuff. And we're going to really talk about this. The riders are coming, quote unquote. It's kind of like the red coats are coming. I know that's like the first thing I noticed. It was like it, it was like the Revolutionary War. Um, and um, and the thing about that is, it's like they're being really super cautious. Um, and it's really kind of disturbing too when you think about it. Um, especially when they know it's Michonne and just a whole bunch of randos um, and the kind of abrasiveness that Diane shows when she tries to get them in, um, to disarm and stuff like that. So there's like this distinct thing. So now one of the things that I posited was that something had happened between the communities. Um, one thing that I noticed from the sneak peek is that they do a little mishmash of, of scenes, right? And so right after the scene where they're showing the existence of the fair in the kingdom, okay? You see the little streamers and the little things. The one actor you see right after the streamers and the fair being set up is an actor named um, Angus Sampson. Now, I'm a huge... um, Okay, so Hulu Originals has a bunch of shows that I really, really dug on. It had Shut Eye had the path um and you you know obviously and it's like funny i watched those two shows but i don't watch the one that was like um emmy nominated um which was uh oh what (laughs) i'm blanking out on the goddamn show um the one with the ladies with the white hats i can't remember and it's not important because this is the walking dead So um, one of the shows was was um, Shut Eye, and Angus Sampson was just this killer, ball busting, um, you know, gypsy character. This is basically a show about gypsies and um, like gypsies, gypsy culture in modern days, obviously, and psychics and stuff like that. So it has Jeffrey Donovan again, um, obviously from Burn Notice, which is most famous for, and um, and yeah, it's just this really like dark humor show that's kind of cosmic that's kind of silly that's kind of funny but it's then it gets kind of dark again it kind of makes you go flip back and forth between that but angus sampson he plays this kind of ridiculous character and um and but at the same time he gets kind of serious on the show too and saying you do kind of get to see this interesting range of a man who has everything who kind of loses everything who kind of goes on this righteous past path thing given his past and given the culture that he's, he's surrounded by and um he's in the sneak peek for next season and he's riding on a horse and he's got this distinctive cowboy gear and so what i'm thinking is that whatever's going on whatever had gone on in the six-year time jump it involves him and he is the rider and he probably does belong to a bunch of riders that had managed to somehow um take advantage of these groups good graces you know whether it be both maybe hilltop and um alexandria and the kingdom probably um because you do see jerry kind of eyeing this the you know eyeing angus samson as he rides by um and it's kind of suspicious looking right so whatever's going on the riders are coming it involves him and I do, and I'll, I mean, I'm like reading Reddit forums and stuff like that with people agreeing me, with me. Um, and, and, and this is really mostly on my end. It's mostly because I know what he plays. I know who, the kinds of characters he plays. He does kind of play CD characters. Um, so I think it's more of like a, uh, what do they call it in wrestling? Um, the heel. <laughs> so he, is, he does play kind of these heels um, in terms of like wrestling. 
Um, so whatever it is, it's going to involve him. And I think we're finally, and this is what I mean about these little nuggets that the, the sneak peeks kind of bring. It's not even as much that it spoils things. Yeah, exactly. So everybody does assume that he is a whisperer, kind of like, he was like the his, hipster whisperer. He was a whisperer before it was a whisperer. Um, so no, I don't really think that's it. He doesn't seem like the whisperer type too. If you really kind of look at him and see how he kind of, you see his acting style. He does kind of play the same kinds of characters necessarily. So, you know, and he always does have a comedic flair to his, his acting style too. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure about his role in comedy too. He's kind of like a Jenna Elfman of acting. You know, he does have kind of a comedic flair to his, to his acting approach. Um, although, you know, obviously Jenna Elfman did kind of play it straight um, for Fear the Walking Dead. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking though. Um, and so, so yeah, we're, we're at Hilltop. Um, you have that feeling and I keep that in the back of your mind when you do probably maybe rewatch uh, episodes uh, six, seven, six, and seven, and even eight. Um, to see like the interactions, the the precariousness, the caution, the policies that they have, um, at, especially at Alexandria, and the lack of communication. And it, it just goes to to show that you know, it, among all the other things that other communities were kind of saying, hey, like especially Hilltop. Hilltop, more than any other community, was all about Hilltop uh, at, at this at the height of at the top of um, season nine. They were all about Hilltop. It was all about preserving them, and that was Maggie's philosophy on display. Um, whereas Rick, representing Alexandria, was all about getting people together to try to band together and as as multiple communities as as a community on the whole to try to lift each other up in a sort of partnership um, with many people opposing that, especially people at the Hilltop. Hilltop was kind of, in some sense, it was self-sustaining. It was, and in a way, it was kind of xenophobic. And look how the tables have turned. Um, now Alexandria is taking care of Alexandria, and Hilltop is kind of trying to reach out to, to the kingdom to try to join forces, encouraging the fair, trying to be with each other. And here we are, Alexandria of all places, Michonne, with that promise that she's breaking every single time. She's trying to tell people that we can't take people in. We can't try to go venture out. We can't try to um, be what Alexandria was supposed to be from the very, well, or had been from the very beginning. So, um, yeah, by the way, have I said I'm really glad that you guys are here? I haven't. I'm really glad you guys are here, sincerely. Um, it makes for a really a much better show. Oh, and speaking of... Yeah, um, yeah. I was also kind of amused at um, Magna saying, um, "I just got my knives back when she was disarmed at Hilltop." I mean, you kind of got to give it to him. I, I do love Magna as well. Uh, I I love the group. It kind of injects. It's kind of like when you think about Fear the Walking Dead, like injecting a, a a fresh group with different personalities. That kind of also gives you perspectives on the other, on the the other communities at large. And I spoke about this um, last week with I Am the Dark too, metaphorically speaking. Um, and um, and it's the idea that, you know, this small group is kind of like a foil to the other communities and how they're kind of treating each other, too. Um, and what is possible, you know, in terms of a, gr a good group kind of um, trying to interact with the community and try to be a part of something bigger. And you see the obstacles that they have to go through and they're trying to, they're basically, this is like this new challenge for them to try to belong to something bigger. You know, something that they've been desperately needing, kind of like Rick's group when they first stumbled upon Alexandria. And Alexandria was kind of like, oh, people, we got to save people. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, they don't know what they're waiting, what kind of waters they're wading into. But whereas, like, you know, Alexandria today, they know full well. And it probably has something to do with those riders. Um, but anyway... <laughs> 
Yeah, and I, I just thought it was really interesting also, just to kind of button that up, was um, was um, noticing that um, Diane even tells Michonne to disarm, Sadiq, all these people that they know and they are friends with. So it's not enough to say that this is probably the riders. Um, something happened. Somebody pulled something on somebody familiar. And it's really kind of evident when you see, um, when you see Michonne try to interact with, with the people that she knows, Tara especially, um, right from the jump. Um, and then obviously the awkwardness between her and Carol. I mean, I think that was more of an ideological kind of spit, if you think about it. I mean, Kingdom is doing the best that it can, but it could do a lot better if Alexandria kind of just gave him some change, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I think Carol does respect Michonne's position in a way, because I think Carol, of all people, by the way, if you really goddamn think about it, Carol ain't, ain't unfamiliar with taking an orthodox approach to solving problems so to see for her to see michonne actually um exhibiting somewhat of those same behaviors i i think um she's kind of safe trying not to call the you know the pot calling the kettle black or i shouldn't use that analogy i think something wrong with that anyway so uh, <laughs> Um, so Carol Michonne, yeah, I mean, it's, I, at the end of the day, I don't think Carol could blame her. Um, and I, I don't think she does. I think that it, it's amicable. They're, they're, they do talk about their, you know, significant others slash children. Um, and, I, and I think it was a respectful kind of back and forth, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, one thing to note is that like Michonne is, is not only not living up to Carl and Rick's ideal, She's flat out retreating from it. Um, I mean, she's literally pushing these communities apart, you know, on purpose. You know, um, the idea that that to be separate is to survive. She says as much. Um, she basically says, you know, they may hate me, but they're alive to hate me, you know? So, um, but going further, um, she also doesn't want failing communities to, to affect Alexandria. And that's a whole other load of shit. I mean, I, I put it to you this way. Um, you guys are both on the stream, and actually, I have to kind of pay attention to that. But you guys, uh, here's a poll: um, Do you kind of agree with Michonne's decision, just in terms of failing communities not affecting your own community? I think the best of us, I mean, the the, the good part of us, wants to say that that yeah, we would pitch in, yeah, that we would um, we would gladly um, you know give from us to help others. But I think the post-apocalyptic version of us might think along the same lines of Michonne. Now, yes, they're her friends, right? But also, yeah, they're a collective of people that want to survive in a world with diminishing modern resources and they need the key to the future to kind of keep things going. And so there's a lot to really think about here. Um, I eagerly await your response. <laughs> Um, and while I do that, I'm going to actually clear up a couple things. But um, yeah, I mean, it's something to chew on. Uh, obviously, we don't have the whole picture. We don't know everything that happened. Even my theory could be just flat out wrong. Um, hmm, that's an interesting observation, Ms. Maisel. Um, okay, so let's go with that. Probably due to me Negan being alive, kept the groups apart. Could be. Um, could be. But consider one thing. Last week, it was revealed from Jed, who uh, in his group, uh, who, who met uh, an untimely demise, 
that the sanctuary's fallen. It's done. It's gone. Um, so I don't think Negan Negan was as scary as his power his, his power influenced. I think if you really think about that. So with Negan, I mean, now do you think Negan could maybe influence the Alexandrians and the kingdom subjective? But I don't know if he has that kind of pull. I think these people know each other too well. I don't know if he can recruit as many people on his side as I mean, as sexy a, a motherfucker he is. Uh, I don't really think he can um, get people on board with his kind of way of thinking as much as he could the saviors you know seemed like those guys were kind of a collective of mostly like-minded um people especially at the top of the echelon um and obviously i in the dark 2 is taking the careful approach <laughs> can't say because we don't know what happened and you are 100 percent right um you know hey but you know what let's live in a world you know, I'm the dark too. Let's live in a world where we're not so afraid of being wrong. Is it, is it so bad? Is it so bad to, to be wrong about something? Throw caution to the wind. Have an opinion, but don't be mean about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see what you're saying, uh, Miss Maisel. Um, definitely not. He's still not trusted. Um, yeah, of course not. <laughs> you wouldn't leave him alone with your kid, right? Um, but yeah, it's all about, I mean, in my view, it's like all about, about influence, you know, of course he's not to be trusted, but at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's about reach, you know, but anyway, I mean, look, there's no wrong answer to that. This is all hypothetical. (laughs) Um, one little tidbit about Daryl that, um, Jesus and Aaron were talking about were, was, um, how Daryl used to trade with Hilltop in the beginning, um, which kind of denotes the fact that, yeah, he went, um, out in search for Rick's body, but at the same time, he did at first try to make a, a concerted effort to visit Hilltop, right? Uh, oh, I'm dingy. Yeah, I am a dingy person, but yeah, um, <laughs> But yeah, so there, there was a concerted effort to to uh, for him to kind of reach out to other communities, and especially with the bridge that's fallen, that that was quite the trip too. Um, you know, that bridge was one of one, basically the last um, means to reach other communities easily. Um, you know, especially um, sanctuary, right? Um, now, I always, I just found that interesting because um, because you get this impression that he's been out there a while, and obviously he he tried to kind of keep in touch with everybody, but he just couldn't couldn't. I guess he couldn't couldn't really live with himself i mean after not trying not finding rick and maybe not wanting to be a part of everybody so i mean it's, it's just kind of a little bit more insight into daryl i mean it's something it's kind of something that you kind of daryl's always kind of been like that though if you think about the evolution of daryl daryl is kind of defined by the people that describe him like the people that kind of interact with him Daryl himself doesn't exhibit too much. He doesn't really give you too much. And if he does, it's in very little spurts. And it's all kind of... I'm not saying it's all kind of open to interpretation, but it's kind of um, open-ended. So he's kind of like a a reflection of you when you kind of... Just think about it the next time you see Daryl. Like, his reactions could be interpreted any way. You know, like any which way, right? So... Um, I mean, that's what I think, at least. Because, uh, I mean, if you really look at Daryl from the beginning, he's kind of, he kind of comes off as kind of a, a grunt, you know, that, that sort of brush kind of personality. And you can really take it one way or the other. But I think if you're a good person, you kind of try to look beyond that or you try to attribute it to something. And, you know, um, but yeah, I think you kind of get to know Daryl through the people who love him or the people that know him. You don't really get to know Daryl too much from him. Um, I mean, especially in previous seasons. Um, more so this season, fine. Uh, time does that, you know. Um, also better writing. <laughs> 
or improved writing. I don't want I don't want to disparage anybody, but yeah, yeah, a little bit more fine tuned writing. But yeah, uh, Aaron, Daryl, and Jesus. Yeah, that's the other thing. This group in particular, these three gentlemen. Um, if you think about the kind of people that he that these people are. Aaron, Daryl, and Jesus were the quintessential people that would go out and try to find people to bring back into communities. It does kind of bring me into the whole um, realm of saying that Daryl is gay. Uh, I will say why, because it's looking to me that my theory rings a little bit more true than I thought it did. Only because if they got rid of Jesus this kind of soon, and I know it seems like maybe Aaron and Jesus did have something going, um, but the fact that they didn't, they didn't show it leaves a hell of a lot of room for Aaron and Daryl to kind of start maybe having something together. Now, and I know a lot of people don't like this, especially the ladies who really love Norman Reedus slash... Daryl Dixon, but if you kind of think about how well Daryl and Aaron kind of gravitated towards one another, um, I think it's in season six or seven. I want to say seven, but it's probably six. Um, you really do get, a, I mean, obviously you do get a sense of um, like a brotherly love kind of thing. That's true. But I did, I saw that more with, um, with Rick and Daryl. But with Aaron, there was kind of almost like something more to it. It's like he looked forward to kind of joining him on these little outings um, to try to kind of get people in. And and Daryl eventually went out on his own. <laughs> I in the Dark does not like my theory. Um, but hey, it's looking more likely every, uh, every moment. Um, <laughs> look, bottom line is, I th- and I think we can all agree that we want Daryl to find love. I just think he's going to find it in Aaron's um, arms. <laughs> But that that is not the point. The point is that these three guys, Daryl, J- uh, Jesus, and Aaron, are quintessential people. That that and and if you think about how the season's been going, the season of isolation, the season of policies against trying to help other people and bring other people in. Of um, and this not only goes for Alexandra, this is for the hilltop as well. Kingdom could take all the help that it can get, but something tells me that whatever influence the riders had now i mean if you try to mess with kingdom you're messing with a, a a village of warriors anyway i mean spare a couple but um so maybe they didn't feel the need to um maybe they didn't feel the need to actually um fend off or, or try to adopt these kinds of policies like isolationist policies maybe because they felt that they could they could defend themselves however however um, they will take whatever help that they can get. But the hilltop, you know, obviously with the rider's comments, Alexandria with the security policy of not trying to find other people, especially, um, and especially not if you stumble a- 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 across people, do not take them in. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting to see these three people together. You know, if Rick was on the show, he would be there too, but he's not. Uh, same with Carl. But, you know, these three people have, have been the ones. I mean, Jesus with the with the episode of him trying to um, essentially in his own way recruit Rick and, and Daryl, uh, you know, to try to be partners for Hilltop. You know, Hilltop has always been a good producer too. So this is, which is why the saviors have always kind of given them a little bit more slack. Um, they've always been to, able to kind of meet their deadlines and, you know, whereas Kingdom kind of had it a little rougher. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the idea of, of trying to maybe form other partnerships, ones that are probably a little less hampering, a little bit more, less hamstringy. Um, and so, you know, to have them lose somebody that, that is that competent and, you know, to have them have Daryl be out of the picture also for so long and finally be a part of this, like this super group of people that brought people in. 
um, makes it that much more pertinent for um, for him to be a part of these communities because it it would make it really really impossible for him to leave at this point because obviously there was a little bit of respect between him and, and Jesus and then the way they kind of form their friend you know their friendship obviously there's a, there's a really tremendous relationship like aside from my from my theories um, there is definitely a, a tremendous kinship between him and Aaron the relationship they had trying to bring people in um, and I think I, you can easily see why Daryl would gravitate towards somebody like Aaron because um, I mean it, it, and obviously Rick was exhibiting the same qualities um, in especially in season nine with Carl's renewed promise and Aaron's words regarding Rick and how we were all kind of side-eyeing Rick at the time trying to figure out you know how is it possible that you can cling on to Carl's vision um, and then Aaron kind of just brings everything to focus you know saying you know we were in dark times and you brought you brought light in in this dark time like for the first time you know vision for the future that maybe this can be better hope you know bottom line so, um, so yeah, I just, I just thought there was, this, there was, it was just this unique significance of seeing these guys together. But another thing that comes out of the scene, besides that little tidbit that I managed to blow up to the nth degree, is that you do also see that the, notice that the herd is acting kind of funny, along with the fact that they were milling around before and they walked away pretty clean, um, except for dog barking. What the? I mean, I'll get to that in a sec. But like, the herd seems to be following them, you know, which is interesting too. Um, I mean, we we know what's going on, you, me, and the, and the wall. But you know, f watching them slowly discover what we already know. I mean, we know. Uh, we knew. Um, I think uh, maybe a half a season ago what was going to happen. <laughs> but watching them figure it out is like really, really exciting. It's like we know something you don't know, and you get to watch their perplexed looks as the as the situation kind of unfolds too. These three capable, knowledgeable people, um, fully aware of what they're getting into, having these uncanny reactions and moments to unexpected behavior. It's just, and you feel it because of the way it's filmed, because of the way the sound is, because of the way um, the cinematography is moving, the dialogue, the terrific acting. It's just something really interesting to watch. Um, but yes, uh, we do see Carol uh, leaving Hilltop with Diane. Um, Diane is, of course, she's been with Hilltop from the very beginning. She's been at kind of Maggie's side for a really long time. Um, and uh, now that Maggie's gone, I don't think Diane has a really real reason for being around Hilltop anymore. Uh, they seem to be getting along fine without her. They have totally capable people of trying to, you know, guard this place. And the kingdom kind of needs as many resources as they can get too um but i want among that we do get to see a good touching moment between henry and carol something that we kind of need too i think the shows both fear the walking dead and the walking dead are really getting the idea of adding in moments that get us to feel something other than frustration uh sadness uh, death loss hopelessness inserting these like kind of precious moments in these kind of uncertain times is such a good idea. I mean, you do have episodes like Laura and then you have touching episodes like this where you see Carol of all people have a genuine connection to offspring that we haven't seen since season one or well three, but then again, one, um, it's really kind of, it's kind of, it's, it's something to see. It's, it's, it's good to see Carol kind of embrace this motherhood thing and sending her little boy off to college. 
Um, and that's what it feels like too. Um, but one of the other things that you do notice, and this is just really a, a, a result of really good storyboarding and uh, directing and cinematography, is that as soon as Carol leaves with Diane, um, whereas before the hilltop was hustling, you know, appeared to be at least hustling and bustling and everybody's moving around everywhere. And if, especially if you notice the hilltop scenes, um, most of them are with people moving in front of the camera in front of our actors, right? You get this sense of a lack of space. And as soon as Carol leaves, you have this like bird's eye view shot of Henry and just this one guy raking whatever plant is planted there. But you get this distinct sense of loneliness. All you see is open space um, with Henry just off center at the bottom of the screen and he's all alone. And it's it's just a perfect shot. You do, in, in along with the blurred walker shot in the beginning and, and this shot here, like I... I I love um, Michael Satrazimus' style. I, I love the way they decided to film these scenes. They, they paid close attention to using space and using um, the way you frame a shot with people in it to kind of um, evoke a sense of uh, like overpopulation in, in, in one scene. But then in other scenes, it, it, in this one scene, like absolute loneliness. Um, so it's, it's just something good to watch because I know you're going to be watching this episode again. Pay attention to scenes like that. Pay attention to the scenes before and after. Before people bustling, moving, you know, moving in front of the camera, you know, just just accentuating the fact that there's a lot of people there. And then all of a sudden, none. So it's very manipulative. And that's the whole point. Aaron, D Jesus, and Daryl notice that their numbers are growing too. So they're 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 not only they're they're like a little walker sticky trap. They just keep attracting more and more people, growing this herd, weaponizing it. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the vultures too, and fear the Walking Dead, except just on a whole other level. It's kind of like why when we were covering um, Fear the Walking Dead, we were kind of like thinking to ourselves, could this be just like the advent of the whispers, the vultures, like where they take these walkers, they put them up, they box them up, and then they like. Um, and they kind of like evoke they they um they like weaponize these walkers you know for, to their advantage and so we kind of like way in the beginning we're just kind of like okay is this what this is going to turn into if it does it's kind of interesting and it would be better if like we got to use our old characters as heels you know and and it, like victor strand is beta and madison is is alpha um i wasn't really in that camp because i think they deserve it better than that but um, it's fun to it is kind of fun to think about like how they would play that how that how that could happen. Um, but yeah, I mean you do notice the similarities right away. Um, oh yeah, and good call. Uh, Henry's alone eating um, with um, yeah by himself at, at lunchtime too. Yeah, see and you notice how that is when you see that shot of Henry eating by himself. Um, it's not just like a normal shot of him just at a table. You have Henry off to the left and he's right in front of the camera, right? Just right up in front of it. And you you get to see all of Hilltop behind him in the distance and all these, on, on all these other tables. It, it's just like this weird shot. Like what kind of table is so far away from the other tables that he feels like he needs to sit all alone by himself on this one table like it like on this table that's completely separate from all the others uh, all these other tables in a row um but that's deliberate that's to get the shot just to, to accentuate the fact that um you know there's this distinct aloneness even though there's so many people around and they had to do it that way to kind of um show that yes there is a there is a lot of people there but no henry is feeling this loneliness um so yeah it, see another another scene to kind of pay attention to um, another thing about Henry, <laughs> let's just talk about Henry all day. But you know, it, it's kind of cool that we're making him a real good character because uh, a real important character. 
and I'll get into this in a sec, but I'm kind of glad that they're filming Henry this way and they're making him kind of a prominent character because um, I I personally was hoping that he was not the one to court Lydia, right? Think about this for a second. A lot of people, including myself and Carol, when we were talking about Henry and where he was going to go, knowing full well that Carl is dead, because Carl was the one that was, that was supposed to be courting Lydia, um, I was afraid that Henry Henry would be the one to be courting her. And it's looking to me from the sneak peeks that Lydia is courting Daryl. So this does throw a wrench in my theory, Eye in the Dark 2. So I think you're okay. <laughs> so don't be mad at me. Um, I'm cute. Um, but... <laughs> But it looks like Lydia is reaching out to Daryl. And I think Carol is going to feel really vindicated about, uh, you know, knowing that she may have been somewhat right about Daryl and Lydia being having this like love interest kind of thing going on. And um, it makes a lot more sense from when there's a confrontation with the Whisperers and Daryl. Now, here's the bad part, knowing that, and if Daryl is the love interest, there's a distinct chance, and this is going to be a good chance, that Daryl is going to bite it. So don't be, I see, I see your smiley faces now because I just saw that come in, um, but you're not going to like the fact that there's a distinct chance that Daryl might might lose this fight um, because that's what happens to Carl in the comic books. However, so much has changed. Jesus has died way earlier than, I, than we all thought he would. Um, Rick is off the show. Who knows? It's anybody's game, but it's something to be aware of. Because if you really think about it, um, be aware of that, but be prepared for the fact that it may not go the way of the comic book. So many people die in the comic book in the Whisperers are. Now, I don't know about this personally, but I did get to see, for some reason, when I was doing my research, a whole list of people that end up dying as a result of contact with the Whisperers or, well, flaunting or, or you know, not being too careful around the Whisperers. And so, here's what happens, I guess. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of things to kind of keep be aware of. Um, but Henry in mind, <laughs> and going back to love interests, um, and kids, I mean, look, when you're a teenager, um, having a thing for somebody, obviously, it's kind of like, it becomes kind of your world. And so when you see Henry kind of, when you notice that Henry and Alden are kind of in a thing together, um, you can easily see how Henry would want to seek out any sort of um, numbing agent to kind of get him going again. Um, so it's kind of interesting to kind of see that happen in real time and, and watch his reaction and not answer Earl when Earl's trying to ask him about dinner tonight and stuff like that. So, um, but the saving grace in all of that is that if, if Henry isn't going to be the one courting Lydia, then it leaves Henry open to actually have some interesting character development. Now, Henry of all people, his significance, at least to me, is he's kind of like the essence of what it is to not give up on someone. And then as a result, um, Henry is, is is I mean this is, we were talking about Morgan um, and his evolution and and Carol as well Carol not giving up on finding him what he represents is is much bigger than the part that he plays but the fact that he has a part to play means that they can do a lot with his character and maybe among those things is the sexual tension with Addie which is really interesting. Um, it's really interesting to see him kind of bounce from Enid and have this weird, drunken, flirty thing with Addie. And who knows what can happen. 
I mean, you get a sense from already from Addie already that um, that she does not play along with the guys. I think it's more out of necessity. Uh, Addie does seem to have an, a sense of right and wrong, whereas Gage and Rodney, um, they kind of screw around. Um, oh, wait a sec. Yeah. Okay. I'll get to you what you just said in a second in the dark too. But yeah, um, I, I just do like I just enjoy the idea of Addie and Henry getting together because they seem to have this similar sense of right and wrong. You know what I mean? So. Um, I think they kind of need each other, to be honest. Um, and maybe Addie is just in search of like this reprieve um, from these guys, these meatheads. Um, and and having Henry around kind of, you know, increases the chance of just the viability of, of uh, you know, having an actual real friend at the very least. Um, and, and also seeing teenagers in the apocalypse is something that we're in, you know, we haven't, it's been kind of like almost in isolation. Um, you know, Carl separately, the you know sam not quite but his brother i think it was the the one that basically got shot um so we we've had limited contact with teenagers in the apocalypse so this it's kind of going to be kind of good to kind of explore that again um in a, in a kind of bigger setting so now i'm the dark two said that she'd like to see daryl with magna and i think that's a really good coupling if he does survive um <clears throat> if he does survive daryl um the thing with lydia and he will have a if there's going to be an act interaction with Lydia, I do think that there's going to be a thing, quote unquote. But I do think that um, if he does survive that attack, that he and Magnus should consider actually hooking up. Um, <laughs> I th- you're, you're attracting a lot of messages. Uh, are you regretting hooking, uh, having Daryl hook up with Magna because you're trying to save Daryl for yourself? <laughs> Oh man, um, but yeah, it, it is kind of a wild pairing. I mean, like like they're two wild tr- children living like on their own, so it's kind of cool, cool to see them, you know, possibly get together. Um, or you know what, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Daryl being with um, Yumiko. I mean, they're both crossbows. One's a tactician. Um, Daryl is more of a tracker, let's say, but he can be a tactician as well. I mean, you saw his tactician chops on the show. Um, uh, to you know, with Daryl and Jesus, like he had really, really solid ideas of trying to um distract the herd and stuff like that. He has good plans of trying to. Uh, I mean, I, especially after living on his own for for a long time and having dog and all that stuff, um, you know, you can see how he's been able to figure out ways of not trying to confront danger, and so a lot of that stuff does is involved in um, in um, trying to um, fend off, you know, trying to be a part of, you know, trying to win like a war or a battle, you know, is trying not to get hurt, you know, and that's I mean, limiting co- collateral damage and all that stuff, so. Um, yeah, I mean, if not Magna, definitely Yumiko. I'd probably lean more towards Yumiko, too, um, over Magna. But if you had to think of somebody else in Magna, though, would you, when did this become the dating show? <laughs> Dial it back, people. I mean, let's not think about love during the apocalypse. We got people to save here, okay? Communities are in crisis, and we're thinking about love? Yeah, because we're not in the apocalypse. So, <laughs> that being said... Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny how um, Addie, Gage, and Ronnie, uh, Rodney kind of come along right at the right moment. They they basically been spying on him. I mean, they basically saw him make an ass at himself in front of Enid. So, I mean, it's nice that they kind of scooped him up, and but he's basically fresh meat for their amusement, which is kind of sad too. Like if if it's only like the three of you. I mean, there are not many kids your age. You don't want to, I mean, I don't think you want to alienate your, like, your only, um, you know, like, your only set of teenagers, man. I mean, come on. 
but then again, it is pretty funny watching Henry get drunk. <laughs> so um, it's cute. It's cute. It's cute. Let's. I, I, I amend my statement. It's cute more than anything else. Um, little cute, innocent Henry. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, vulnerable to peer pressure. Um, so Michonne, Sadiq, and Rosita. Um, so yeah, so like along with Henry being rebellious, think about what Sadiq's done the last couple episodes. Like Sadiq's unloaded a whole bunch of truth onto Michonne the last um, couple episodes. Oh yeah, speaking of Maggie, she's gone. Um, oh yeah, we've been keeping the lines of communica- communication open. Oh yeah, Eugene and Rosita went off and tried to uh, amplify the signal. Oh yeah, um, you know I don't agree with you on everything that you've basically done in the last six years. Um, so you know, along with Henry, along with Rosita and Eugene, and, and Aaron especially meeting up with Jesus, uh, Sadiq is not the only one, and he's basically dropped a whole bunch of truth bombs. So <laughs> everybody's basically misbehaving. Everybody's gone off the rails. Um, you know, and but at the end of the day, like Michonne gets it. It's not as if she's heartless. It's not as if she doesn't, you know, you know, she doesn't. She after a while, when you see everybody kind of misbehaving, um, you know, at the end of the day, like they're her friends. You know, they don't all have to agree. She just wants them safe, and she accentuates that by saying, you know, you know, as much as they hate me for separating the groups, and I mentioned this obviously a little earlier, like at least they're alive so that they can they can hate me for it. You know, like I'd rather have them hating me alive and hating me than you know dead and you know gone. So yeah, I love Sadiq too. I'm a dark too. Um, yeah, Sadiq is definitely one of my favorite characters in terms of I mean the fact that he like literally embodies the promise of taking in the stranger. It's such a precious. It's just like this really precious thing. Um, and how everything that he does is is all about. It, it represents that. You know, like and, and the promise that um, Carl made basically. So, and he and he pays it forward and. You know, he he doesn't lie to achieve his goal. I mean, obviously he doesn't tell Michonne, but he does, you know, he does his best to kind of do what his heart tells him to do, but at the same time try not to hurt Michonne in the process. So, um, and he's always gentle about it too. The thing about how she prefers the communities to hate her for, you know, for what she's doing to keep them apart is that before I got to the riders idea, it's just the idea that we still haven't seen any of the Oceanside, even though Rodney does mention how, but almost in a sort of fable, like, Oh, I hear there's a group that's just women in this community and blah, blah, blah. But we still haven't seen anybody from Oceanside. No Cindy, um, no Beatrice, whom I probably got killed too during the melee. Although, um, well, well, who cares? I mean, no Rachel, the little girl who's probably like a teenager technically. Um, but, um, I think some of those answers are going to be, oh, those questions are going to be answered in the second half as we start flashing back. There is a sense of maybe what they did in Fear the Walking Dead. They There may be some sort of um, color changes in the scenes. Uh, you do get a sense of that. And that's kind of the only reason why I noticed that maybe the scene with Angus Sampson was in the past is that there is a slight bluish hue maybe to it. So, so yeah, I mean, we, we will find out eventually. We, I mean, we have to. There, there are enough nuggets to keep us going at this point. But my main concern was that I mean, if not for the sneak peek, by the way, I, I would have been pretty pissed. I mean, the fact that we lost Jesus this episode, 
And we didn't really address much of what happened in the past six years. I mean, probably aside from revealing a hefty amount of tension that they had to confront. I mean, um, I would have been really pissed, you know. So then, so the, the the little sneak peeks into the next season really alleviated some of that. I mean, especially with the scene with Angus Sampson, really kind of snapped me out of it. Um, and obviously, like seeing Beta, you know, in action also too. It's it's just okay. All right, I'll let it go for now. Sanctuary, I mean, the sanctuary falling too. Cheapers, creepers. I mean, so much has happened um, that it's relatively unexplained. But we do see in the sneak peek that Negan does visit visit the sanctuary, and he's in for a rude awakening, I think. Um, so that is going to be addressed somewhat as well. I think we're going to see how things were left off. There's going to be probably evidence of how it went down. Maybe Negan's pretty smart. He'll figure this out really quickly. Yeah. Rosina's reaction. Boring. Okay. No, I mean, it's, it's really, see, that's the thing. Like, like even that one scene where Rosita wakes up and, and tries to explain to Michonne that, um, how they really don't know what they're getting into. Um, I mean, obviously if she didn't do that, we wouldn't see Michonne at the end scene when the whispers come out in mass and try to attack, um, Jesus and Aaron. Um, so that scene with Morosito is actually really important. But when she Rosita's delivering that scene, uh, Christian Serratos, um, there's like this in, in, this insane sense of urgency that, and it's just like seeing Daryl's reaction, Daryl, Jesus, and Aaron's reaction to the herd and all that stuff. Like all of this kind of evokes like something we know, but also something that it, it's just interesting to watch them react to these 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 things that unfold. Um, oh, okay. That's a good question, Ivan Dark, too. I'm glad the feed is stable enough so that you can ask it. What do you think is going on in Negan's mind? Oh, yeah, that's something I think that we're, we're going to have to wait to be revealed, by the way. <laughs> also, um, but I'm going to answer your question anyway, even though you retracted, <laughs> retracted it. Um, I I think what's going on in, in Negan's mind is uh, I think he's taking a lot of the lessons he's learned, he's learned in the last last six years too with him along for the ride too. You think that Negan is back, and I think part of us think that he is too, like the old Negan. But there's also Judith Grimes in the picture. I mean, in, in a better world, Carl and him would have been would have bonded on different terms. So he's carrying that with him. I mean, in a sense, when you really think about it, he watched her grow up. You know. And sometimes when you're around people like that, you're kind of responsible for them in the way you way that you act. So I don't know how he would act, but I know that that's going to be part of his makeup. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so that's, I basically answered your question. What do you think is on Negan's mind when he goes to the house with a shovel? Oh, and that other sneak peek uh, in AMC The Walking Dead. Uh, the, the, AMC The Walking Dead. AMC.com. Uh, I didn't see that sneak peek, but I did see like a clip of it on Instagram. And I think that basically goes to what I was saying is that, yeah, he does see what goes on in the house. Uh, you know, he does see the picture on the wall, but he does see the one with Rick in it. And that's the thing. Um, I think part of that is knowing that maybe he, or maybe feeling that, you know, no matter how it's basically what Judah says, the math, the numbers don't care. Like maybe he, those words kind of echoed, echoed, echoed in his head. Um, but yeah, I mean, as much as he wants to be a part of her life, like if they find out that he's out, you know, they're not going to be kind about it. You know, they're not going to just let him stay free. So he's got to be, he's got to go. And I don't think he has a choice, really. So, yeah. So, and, you know, I really I really have to catch that sneak peek in full. Because um, I only got to see, like, I think a 30-second clip of it. Um, of him, like, roaming around um, her, the, the, the house and then also starting to go into the room. Thank you for pointing that out. I, I'll definitely check that out. Along with probably watching the episode again. Um, 
but yeah um now we're gonna move on to the barn scene with the where um aaron and jesus find eugene um uh, aaron daryl and jesus um and again with the cinematography in in the opening shot what you see is the barn off like off center to the left and then on the right all you see is like field and fog and like the fog just evokes like the sense of like of the unknown like where do we don't know what we're dealing with and i think that's it's like a cinematographer's way of kind of accentuating how the whispers feel like maybe even more so in the comic um like the sense of mystery like that we don't know what we're dealing with like, and for those people who don't know the comic books and haven't been spoiled by the internet, um, presenting the Whispers in this way, not knowing anything about the Whispers, this makes so much more sense. And I know I know, in the age of the internet where, where you, you just get spoiled left and right, no matter how hard you try not to. I really envy those who have not seen those spoilers, that, haven't, that have got to experience this without pre-knowledge. Um, I, I think I, I'm really envious of them because I, I can genuinely see how confusing and terrifying this is given the fact that we've been conditioned to see walkers in a certain way and so i mean i'm just really curious about anybody who's really not um you know had an inkling of, of who these people are you know even what they're called and 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 what their reactions were to it too i'm sure they're plenty um but yeah um my theory okay so i in the dark says my theory about negan daryl and B- daryl and beta fight beta is near to killing daryl and negan takes you know what? That's interesting. Negan takes Lucille and kill, kills uh, kills Beta. Um, Negan will be redeemed. Yeah, I. It does appear as though Daryl is in maybe maybe is in Sanctuary. He does seem to be in a factory when he's fighting him in that in that sneak uh, sneak peek into the back gate. Um, I mean, that's very possible. But you know what? Though it would kind of suck. Well, see, I don't know how far along in the episodes um, that confrontation occurs because what. Even though, you know, in the whispers, some people say that the whispers are going to go beyond season nine into season ten, and actually that would be pretty appropriate too if you think about it. Um, the, this whole confrontation between the whispers should not be like terminus. It, I mean, terminus was literally two, uh, two maybe three episodes, two and a half, let's just say. Um, the road to terminus being these endless like lead up to that. But the whispers should be longer, um, not two seasons worth long, but the whispers should be a little longer. They sh- it should be hard. It should be brutal. It shouldn't be quite as brutal as the whispers are. I don't think for television, uh, given the fact that one of the words to mention is rape. Um, I'll let you look it up because I'm not going to get into it. It, it there, it's, rape is a thing that happens in their community. Um, is a means to toughen people up. There's no need to look further than that. But it's the idea that also that they need to be this long-lasting impression on the group, not only in terms of numbers lost, but just of how brutal and terrifying and, and, and how much of a stain it becomes. Like, I mean, especially after whatever happened at the time jump, this is going to really affect the way things go moving forward. Um, yeah, and I in the Dark 2 agrees with me. I think the story uh, will go into season 10. Correct. I mean, I think I, I think at that point, I wouldn't mind a Terminus moment, like maybe within the first few episodes of, of season 10. Um, you know, that, you know, after a while, you, you don't want an all out, all out war situation where it takes, you know, more than two seasons to resolve this. So, you know, you just, yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, but yeah, so going back to the barn, um, so that overhead shot, it's just this feeling of the unknown, the mist. 
and they arrive and it's like it's a scene out of a horror movie um they uh they get to the barn they they in, in eugene is terrified shivering in this hole i mean it's just like finding what was it like uh finding finding gaddafi <laughs> it's just that's it I don't know why my brain thought that when when they opened the the trap door. Like, oh my god, it's like Gaddafi all over again. And I had like nightmares after I saw what they did to him. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, it's and then Eugene going into this thing, man. That the the the, the um that you know, that the walkers are whispering and and they're like they're hunting him down. And um, my immediately immediate thing, my immediate thing when they start hearing the walkers and dog barks is that motherfucking dog is a fucking liability. <laughs> if if the, if the dog didn't bark, I think they would have been just fine. But the fact that they that he, that I mean, I just man, like some scenes, I'm like the dog is really a liability. Um, but you know, I mean, obviously, dog trainers and Daryl and whatever he is in the show. Um, I mean, the dog seems to mostly work out, but like. God damn! What kind of dog is is trained to that nth degree, right? Um, I mean, you do one, you train the dog one like wrong in any way, like okay, the dog falling into that trap. I mean, come on, <laughs> you're asking for a whole lot of trouble. Um, you could tell I don't own a dog or I don't have a dog to take care of. That's really sad, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and the bottom line of that scene is that, like, you seeing Eugene terrified the way he is makes us terrified. You know, it's it's this, like, reflection thing. It's kind of like seeing Rosita's reaction. It's kind of like seeing the perplexity on Daryl's face. And, you know, it's it's all of these things, man. Um, oh, and I have a question. Um, I in the Dark se- 2 says, um, uh, I, I want to ask you something no one has ever addressed uh, that I know. Who do you think came through Terminus and locked them in the cattle car, raped the women, and left them locked up to die? Wait, what? Uh, hmm. I'm going to need a sip of this <laughs> before I try to tackle this one. Okay, okay. I remember what you're talking about. God damn. You're really sharp. Okay, so what some of you might not know is Terminus consisted of a bunch of people who tried to probably do things the way Rick's group did and tried to live in peace and harmony and whatnot. But Terminus' story and the way they evolved or devolved, depending on how you look at it, is that they were a community and some people rolled through and made them feel all kinds of hell. They basically you know lock the lock them up in cattle cars and rape the women left them you know basically yeah okay so i got this right okay well we thought the same thing so i had thought the same thing about other groups as well um i'm trying to think of of who this was i mean obviously it's something that we did cover on the podcast is that um we had thought that um i'm trying to think i'm trying to think um well, I'm blanking out on this now, but I had a similar kind of observation about some other group and how they shook out and, and, and what the deal with that was. And, I, and part of me thought that that was the not the whispers per se. I, I thought maybe that it was like Negan's group or something. And I mean, obviously, it could have even been the riders. Like it could have been, you know what? If you really, really think about it, could it have been the claimers? That to me seems a little bit more obvious and local. Um, uh, I guess it wouldn't be the, the hospital. No, I mean, the claimer seems like the most obvious choice, too. I mean, you're talking about people that claim things, you know, and the fact that they didn't stick around um, means that it, it just fits the MO. Like it, it, they're all about self-preservation about taking what's you know calling things and taking them and and everybody else backing off i can see them getting organized enough to kind of make a run and if if they show any sort of opposition um they scram they have a moose so i I would bank more on the claimers yeah exactly exactly but i i see where you're going with that you're like more about like thinking maybe this was um the birth of the whispers or something like that interesting though right 
or if I mean, if you're thinking that maybe there's a reason why it couldn't be the clamors, I mean, I'd like to know, uh, and and why you would think maybe it's the whispers. Um, I, I'm really curious, to be honest. Um, no, but all of these are really good questions. Um, you, you just got to kind of work with what's in the environment <laughs> at the time. And, the, and they were kind of nearby. So I don't know. You never know. Yeah. And then we get to kids will be kids. Um, yeah, you, you see basically little drinking games in, uh, in the, the barn between Henry, Addy, Rodney, and um, Gage. Uh, you know, they're just blowing off some steam and whatnot and fresh blood, drinking moonshine. One thing I noticed about the, the, the little um, cottage that they're in is that they have a little drum set set up. If you look at the corner, the drum set is made out of paint buckets that have been sheared off, uh, a barrel to represent the kick drum, and the um, the symbols are two frisbees. So when you watch, when you rewatch this, it's like near the end of that scene where they're, where they're about to leave the the actual um, cabin. Look at this thing in the corner, um, and it's just like the most hilarious thing that the props department um, put up. Um, but other than that, uh, yeah, it, it's it's one thing to know is the sexual tension between Henry and Addie and how Addie leaves after um, uh, Gage and Rodney, you know, reveal like the um, the the frizz, the whatever the walker that they're basically abusing. Um, and, and I need to ask a question, though, for anybody who's really around to kind of check this out, is that um, one of the things I was really curious about, because maybe I just am lacking the reference point, Henry's reaction to the actual walker that was in the pit. And obviously Henry is like a kind of like a, a decent minded person. And like, even if it's dead, like I could see him going out of his way to put it down. But why? I mean, it, it does remind you sober him up really quickly to, to know that like, you know, it kind of snaps him back into place to see why he's with um, why he's doing what he's doing. But I do think that there's something about like what 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 is it about that moment that like is there something specific that he's evoking when it comes to that walker? Um, is he thinking of something specific in terms of like a memory or something that we've seen in the past where you know why he would actually put down that walker? Because I'm I'm just la I'm lacking that reference point. Um, you know, it's just something to think about. But if anybody has any answers, let me know because I mean, what propels him to do that? Like other than like decency or whatnot, or maybe the dangers of what this reality is it's it seems a little bit more than that i mean especially when you're drunk right so um but like obviously that move obviously putting down that walker that they've been playing around with because um all the hoops around the neck and darts in the, in the skin um it does get i does make him lose friends really quickly in fact like if you notice when hilltop picks him up you know he's basically shouting at the gates to let them let him in uh, you know all drunk and disorderly like um and um and and basically they have to i mean they have to let him in after a while but um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like really awkward experience. And, and so, I mean, he basically has no friends. I don't know about Addie now, but, um, cause she seems to kind of like him, but I think Rodney and Gage are not going to give him, cut him as much slack as they did before. So, <laughs> so I guess we'll see. Um, now we're getting close to the end of the show, but I think, I hope, <laughs> I mean, I don't want this to end people, but mm, you know, I mean, we all got to do something, right? I mean, it's one thirty in the morning. How did that happen? <laughs> um, but yeah, we're up to um, Eugene's rescue. The walkers are evolving. Um, they split up. And like, it's that moment. So this that one scene that I, I was like, I had to like rewind and watch over and over again because it's just so, I'm like sitting there just as frightened as Daryl. Um, 
when Daryl tries to distract the walkers with the um, with both dog and the firecrackers and watching his reaction as the herd pays his distractions no mind is this it's it's just really really unsettling to watch Daryl lose his composure um, the the way he's he's kind of panicking telling the dog to shush he's like really freaked out by this it's, it's as if they have intention and it's everything that they're doing is defying is defying everything they know about walkers and it's it's just really frustrating and between the way that that's filmed actually the way that that's filmed with the walkers in distance almost a little blurry like uh, it's kind of like if you take remember old older um digital cameras maybe even camera phones if you zoom in too much you things look a little pixelated um and blurry that's kind of how they look like at a distance and it's almost surreal like watching them move on uh in a way and there's like a sense of disconnection that's like from reality like okay the reality i know is gone like the, what i know about walkers is been shattered and that's every that's everything in his look and it's everything in the way that scene was filmed the tension the disbelief the on the like the the lack of like contact with reality so i mean i just love the the filming style i just like love the way that was directed and shot um so yeah i mean that c is just clutch haha <laughs> i use the word clutch okay um another thing to notice by the way yeah it was creepy right uh, it gave me the yeah and it gave me the chills too uh in the dark too yeah, I mean, it just blew my mind. I, I and even when I reacted to, I think it was the video that you, either you or um, we are TR we are TRWD uh, TWD ninety three slash seventy eight. I think she posted the video as well, and I was like, yeah, that was the moment. That was the moment that it kind of, yeah, it just dawned on me. Um, one thing to notice about Alexandra in Negan's escape scene is that the fog that seems to have been traveling, um, you know, let's say in the general vicinity. But I mean, it's. These communities are not close to each other, but yet the fog has reached Alexandria as well. So it's this kind of like mist that changes things, that evokes a sense of mystery. And one of those mysteries and changes, um, and that changes reality, uh, is the one that allows Negan to escape, you know? <laughs> so I just thought that the imagery of fog is kind of like um, fog or mist, or, or like how the mist represents certain things, like mystery, terror, um, these horror elements that kind of um, invade us, you know? It, it's just such a cool visual element to kind of um, bring out, like heighten every single scene and, and just classic horror tropes. It's, it's just great. Um, and again, it's like an overhead shot you know, with the windmill in there and the fog rolling in from the right. Um, and, um, and, and also watching Negan leave that cell with, with that little Negan smirk. Um, priceless. It's it's what we've been waiting for. I mean, to be honest. Now, the only thing about this, the scene with, um, with he and Earl, uh, Henry and Earl, after being locked up, it's um, it's kind of interesting to see Earl on the other side of the bar as kind of being the Maggie in the situation and um, basically telling Henry that I know what it's like to be overwhelmed with the responsibility that you now have, you know, because Earl was talking about how um, Earl was talking about how um, when um, Ken was born, uh, he was basically too drunk to even see his the birth of his child. And it just goes to show like how overwhelmed he was with life, how he couldn't handle it. And he basically checked out. And so Henry, you know, doing the same in a smaller scale and in a sort of sense, um, not wanting to feel maybe it's Earl's way of saying, hey, man, that's how it starts. You know, it's not always going to be like this, but that's how it starts. And if you keep going on like this, you keep trying to escape. It's going to continue. So um, better get off that path. I can't believe this. This is really gone. Um, this is really gone. Really 
really, really, really exceedingly well. I just, I'm so excited to do more with these live streams. And I hope you get excited too, because I want to do some cool shit. I love how I can see the chats. One day I'll get it right. One day I'll get a third monitor in the middle to see all your chats. I, I will love that. Man, life is exciting. <laughs> Uh, one thing to keep in mind, uh, you can subscribe on YouTube and Facebook as well as continue listening to on Instagram, but I think it's a lot easier um, in the long run because you can get these episodes on Backplay. Um, you can also get an audio version of the, of the podcast. Well, I mean, this is largely audio um, uh, via SoundCloud, uh, Google Play Music, iTunes. We're on Radio Public now. We're on Stitcher too. So you can really literally go, hey, Alexa, play the latest episode of Squawking Dead and it'll just pull up. Um, same thing with Google Home. I've done that before too. Hey, hey, watch this, watch this. Okay, Google, play the latest episode of Squawking Dead podcast. Sure. Here's the latest episode of Squawking Dead, episode 36, season 9, episode 6 and 7 of The Walking Dead. Who are you now? And Stradivarius. How you like me now? <laughs> Unable to play. Well, that's just what happens. <laughs> okay, anyway, enough silliness. Continuing on, there's a theme I need to explore, and it involves Jesus, okay? We know what happens to Jesus at the end of the episode. I don't want to harp on that too much, but I do want to eventually get to the actual scene. But one of the things that, that people have been saying in this episode is that we'll deal with this when Jesus gets back. Um, Tara says this actually when um, when she says that Jesus will decide to do what to do with Magna's group, right? Um, Earl says this also when he's talking to Henry and saying, hey, uh, a standard for drunk and disorderly is two days, but you know we'll, we'll see what Jesus wants to do when he comes back. Well, Jesus ain't technically coming back. And the truth of the matter is Tara has been kind of leading the hilltop for a little while. Uh, I've heard some people mention that, or I think, I don't know if this was on Talking Dead or not, but like the idea of an Alexandrian or like the original group um, would be the ones to lead the hilltop um, or should be the ones to lead the hilltop. But I think, I mean, I think that being Tara, Tara seems right, but I, I am open to the idea of being someone else um, leading Hilltop. It could be Aaron as well, um, you know, taking Jesus' place, could be Daryl for all we know. And that would be pretty cool. We do see Daryl kind of take charge a lot more in the Snake Peaks. He does seem to take a lot of initiative. Um, they do seem particularly vulnerable and he is a pretty forceful fella, like when his mind is set to it. And this is kind of going back to what I was saying about the evolution of Daryl in the ramp-up episode. One of the things I, I, I had said in the ramp-up in episode 24, um, and this was basically the mid-season finale for um, Fear the Walking Dead and sneak peeks from season 9 for The Walking Dead... And one of the things I said was um, was that Daryl's kind of going to kind kind of find his own voice, and I think the interesting thing, and, and this kind of goes back to Kari Payton's reaction as well to when we he was basically saying that there's so much show, there's just so much going on here, um, and um, I think the fact that Rick leaves the show opens the field for other people to become bigger than they would have been had Rick been in the picture, and that's never been more true than when you really think about Daryl. I mean, in some senses of the word, and Daryl lives in Rick's shadow and is okay with that. But for those people that want to see more from Daryl, I think the only way you could have maybe have seen more is if actually Rick left the show. If you think about it, like he's always been like that. He's always been the little brother to somebody. But now it's his chance to kind of be a man on his own two feet. And not only that, but people kind of behind him leading the charge. So, so you do see that and actually um 
Eye in the Dark 2, I finally noticed that the missing right wing, the entire right wing from the back of his vest go, had, having gone missing. Um, and so I thought that was really cool. I actually had not seen it. You, you had mentioned that part of it was gone, but in the, in this, in the, the previews to the um, back eight of season nine, um, you see that that right wing is completely gone. Uh, and that's really interesting. I mean, Rick being out of the picture, it's like kind of representative there, but also it's the idea of, um, I, I don't know if you've seen this uh, or if you've played this game, but like, um, but in Final Fantasy VII, there's a there's an, a villain called Sephiroth, and he's um, li- literally kind of like a um, a cross between these espers, these kind of magical creatures that help certain people fight, and humans. And um, he's literally kind of like a half demon, half angel, and he has this half um, he has half of a set of angel wings, and it kind of reminded me of of that a little bit, but like in this cool badass Daryl good guy way, you know. So, and then, you know, obviously you see the fight with him in, in beta and, and it, it's kind of, it's kind of exciting. Um, and, and they really, they're really kind of coming into their own as a, as a sort of, in the, in the terms of comic book visualization. So, I mean, I really kind of enjoy seeing the imagery more than anything, the accessories, the, the, you know, how they're dressed and how the prosthetics are. Um, yeah. Okay. Yes. And so I guess we're, yeah, really good observation. It really made me look out for that piece um, of clothing being completely gone. I wonder what it means, huh? I mean, we should, by the way, you and me should make a coordinated effort, Eye in the Dark 2, to actually um, ask that question when the show comes back. We'll, we'll, we'll make that like, we'll make that the topic that Talking Dead talks about. Um, and we'll know that we got them to kind of ask whoever is on the couch about that. Okay. Yeah. We're going to make a pact. Okay. Shake hands. <laughs> Um, so it's it's gonna be kind of interesting to see how these communities react to Jesus being gone um, because of the way they kind of wait for him to make certain decisions now as you notice um, the thunder the thunder in the cemetery is kind of bellowing a little bit more the more the tension starts to ratchet up also okay that's another cool visualization or like auditory element to kind of heighten the the already thick tension Um, and um, and in the fog itself is so thick, it represents you know heightens that tension as well. It's kind of claustrophobic. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the scenes where you see only the wall, only them, and nothing but that and fog. I mean, it's just really claustrophobic. Um, it's really cool to kind of see Magna's group kind of follow up after Michonne, kind of earning their keep, quote unquote. Um, I, I, I'm kind of going to blow through this scene because, I mean, this is one of those scenes, the cemetery scene is one of those scenes that is best left seen and not really explained too much. Um, obviously the fight scene, the, the way Jesus kind of fights in that scene also is, is just this thing to behold. This is, this is the thing that we've been kind of waiting for. I mean, we got a taste of it when he fought uh, Morgan. Um, we got a lot of it when he first got introduced to the show. It's the stuff that he's been training with uh, Stephen Ho with um, when he initially came on the show, like for like I think it was six weeks. And then, um, and they, look, these are the questions I was gonna ask, that I've been asking that I wanted to ask um, him during the interview and stuff like that. But maybe even that got cut, cut, it, you know, even when the audio didn't actually work. Um, but um, and he had like a new trainer as well. Like he, he trained to do some new things and stuff like that. And then you realize that a lot of the stuff wasn't really put to good use. So, but yeah, we got it. And, and like Jesus did enter the show just as really, just as, as badass as he kind of went in. They, they really didn't send him off in style. I mean, and it's like they were saying, you know, like they, the way they, they, um, they, they said farewell to him was kind of like in a way where 
this is how it should have been. We did it in a way that we couldn't expect somebody to be so cool and so and so kind of jarring and, and kind of off frame and, and not like everybody else. He did have humor. He did have enthusiasm. He did hold his own. Um, but it was the idea that whereas his entry into the show was kind of like a surprise to how people usually are in the apocalypse. Like you're either an enemy or you're a friend. But Jesus, you couldn't tell what. And it was kind of a surprise. There was some dark, so there was like some humor elements in that. Um, it was unlike any, like any meeting of, I mean, it, never since like the meeting with Glenn, which is kind of funny. Like when Rick meets Glenn and gets out of that situation, it was kind of funny also. Um, Jesus's entry into the show was like that as well, and it took like several seasons to kind of have somebody like that in the show. Um, so, um, but in the same way, um, they used his pointed kind of like particular style of fighting, is like this enthusiasm to kind of introduce something very terrifying. Like you think it's going one way, the way we usually see it go. Um, and then it goes this whole other way. Because um, we think everything is like basically okay. I mean, the, the, a path has been cleared, the cemetery great gates are open, Michonne is there, the Magna and Yumiko are there. You think everything's gonna be all right. Um, and Jesus is just trying to pick off the rest and he's getting a little cocky by the end of it. And that's fine, that's Jesus, fine, no big deal. It's just walkers, right? And then, you know, and then that happens. And it's basically, um, yeah, I mean, you, you are where you do not belong. And this is basically going to be a theme for the rest of the season. Um, because that's basically the Whisperer's gripe is that, and, and to be fair, it's kind of, I mean, it's really nobody's fault. But it's kind of like Eugene's, sorry, uh, Father Gabriel's idea of trying to venture out further is what kind of is the impetus of this. And, you know, with Eugene and Rosita kind of going out, getting the amplifier up, um, being where they quote unquote shouldn't have been. In fact, like, I mean, this is kind of, it's the it's the kind of the shittiest thing to kind of have to admit um, because it's really not their fault. But, um, but it is the cudgel that Michonne can use to say, hey, this is basically why I said don't venture out further. We've been here before. Before, and the whole reason why we put these protocols up is to kind of avoid situations like this. And yeah, I mean, look what happens. Ugh. And so this is going to be an interesting dynamic to kind of see Michonne display too, you know, to see how Michonne reacts to the development of these, of this situation, because uh, technically she has a total, the total right to, to invoke an I told you so moment, you know, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that unfolds, you know, how she does react to that situation. Um, yeah. So yeah, Daryl even swoops in and kills the one walker that killed Jesus. Um, oh, and one thing that I noticed in that scene. Um, oh, that's interesting. What you thought. So I in the dark two says what happened to Jesus is what I thought was going to happen to Rick. Um, and he, oh, oh um, so um, I don't think, I, I don't think Rick was meant to be killed. I mean, in the comic book, Rick isn't killed. I don't think, uh, no, no, he's not. Um, and, um, oh, and so this is what you thought would happen with Rick. Rick would be killed by the Whisperers. I didn't think that was going to happen necessarily. We, I, I think Carol and I were both on the same page of it being the helicopter, and we just wanted to see how that would play out. Um, and I in the Dark 2 asks another question. This is actually a very good question. Did Tom Payne want to leave the show? And I can say with absolute 100% certainty that no, Tom Payne did not want to leave the show. 100% not. Nobody wanted him to leave the show. Least of all, Tom Payne. There was a lot left to do for Jesus. It just, it was just this really hard writing choice that they had to make uh, in order to kind of. I mean, it's interesting because the 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 decision to actually kill Jesus uh, instead of 
if it ends up being that killing Jesus takes the place of a ton of other deaths, um, then I think that would be acceptable. It's a tough pill to swallow, but that would be acceptable um, because it's just absolutely horrific how many people end up dying and how some of them die too and what happens to their bodies and all this stuff. I mean, it leaves a lot of leaves a lot of opportunity for Greg Nicotero to actually do shit, but it's something else. Wait, do you do you not think that Tom Payne is is dead? Or uh, sorry, that um, not Tom Payne. Sorry, um, that Jesus is dead. Um, because yes, he he was kind of stabbed through the heart from behind. Um, um, oh, but you thought okay, I, I see what you're saying. Um, not killed, but stabbed. You're talking about Rick, I think, in this scenario. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, but definitely Tom. Tom did not want to leave the show. I mean, he was he was he was pretty frustrated. I mean, by the time we interviewed him, he probably filmed that scene, and uh, he was. I think this is like his bone of contention. Um, he was very frustrated with the with the amount with the little um, that he had li- the little scenes that he had in season eight. I mean, I even made it a point to ask him that um, was there anything that he could have done besides sit around and wait for him to be called to casting calls. Um, and he said no. I mean, literally, they kind of have you hostage for that duration. And even though he's billed on all these episodes, like he he's he's barely in any of these scenes in any of these episodes, and he still has to come to to set you know just for either it's to film this or that or just either or just to show up you know for, for pics or commentary or whatnot so so basically daryl kind of um unmasks the whispers figures out what they what they are and then you hear the the whispers going they're trapped circle around don't let them slip by keep them together and so we leave the episode off, episode off like this too I mean, we know that they do get out, and this is basically going through the sneak peeks really quickly. They get out. It shows them getting out. Not only does it show them getting out, but they have a hostage in the form of Lydia. Um, She's behind bars at Hilltop. Um, You do see Alpha go uh, hit up the gates, um, being bold, basically taking a bold step. And basically, uh, it's going to be to warn them to basically release her or else. And... um, um, you do see Alden and, and Luke out in the woods surrounded by whispers. So there's another terrifying element. Um, the whispers are, are basically observing the hilltop from the woods. Alpha approaches the gates. Lydia speaking to Daryl. You're more like us than them. You don't belong with these people. <clears throat> um, um, I mentioned the, the right wing patch being missing. And you notice that the most when Daryl is greeting Alpha at the gates. And that is Alpha whom he's greeting at the gates. Um, and you, you know the missing right wing. Um, now, yeah, so it looks like the king- kingdom almost has the fair almost entirely ready, ready <clears throat> entirely ready. And then this is the part where basically it flips to Angus Samson, which is kind of like, you know, the show kind of messing with us. It shows the fair, which is in the present, but then it shows this Angus Samson character. So it makes you think that that's happening in the present, but I think that's, that's a time jump. That's a, um, sorry, not a time jump. That's a flashback. Uh, I in the Dark 2 asks, what do you think of the actor playing Alpha? Does she fit the part? Um... So Samantha Morton plays crazy really well. Um, I'm not really qualified to say how Alpha should be played because I didn't read the comics. Um, do I think that she can do brute? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I think it's a safe assumption to say that she'll play um, Alpha really well. Um, I go this basically based on the Minority Report. I know she's played kind of psychotic, shaky actors really well which doesn't necessarily fit alpha's part but i do think she's capable of playing cruelty really well as well so even in my minority report she kind of flips from being 
at some points from being um, shaky and nervous and weird to playing fully confident as she's recalling certain memories. Um, she has range. She definitely has range. Um, I'm just not sure how Alpha's supposed to be. Now, it, when you see Alpha um, walking towards the gates, she seems like kind of aggressive, take charge. This makes sense to me. Um, but as you said, <laughs> we're not going to know until we know, right? Um, I, I kind of hope, I kind of wish that Carol would be on the show. She, Carol can actually lend me a lot more, um, insight into, um, whether she would fit the part. Um, I just know that she has a range. I know she can play crazy. Um, I know that for, for certain. Can she play cruel? Can she play the kind of person that advocates for rape as a form of toughening you up? Uh, probably. <laughs> I, I just don't. That's kind of a leap. I don't know how far they're going to take uh, that character in this group. So it, it kind of remains to be seen. I mean, if they did kind of go there, it would, it would, in, it would just increase the terror element to like just well, well past 11. So, but I, I think, I think we're going to be surprised by um, Alpha's performance. It, she's going to be unlike anything we've seen in a character on this show. I mean, nothing, okay, maybe close to what the governor was. Uh, and I don't think we have, we've seen governor-esque crazy in a long time. Exactly. So yes, in the comic, she, yeah. Okay, so she did fight her way to the top. And I think that's, um, I think they have bulked her up as well. So she has a little bit more meat on her bones. So she does look a lot tougher uh, from what I've seen. Um, so that's going to be an element too. Um, she's she's going to be scrappy. She's going to be somebody who's not, not to be trifled with. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. Um, uh, we do see a picture of an overhead shot of Jesus's funeral. That's for sure. Um, or well, a funeral, but it looks like he was eulogizing um, Jesus. So I think that's a done deal. I mean, I, I think Tom Payne kind of confirmed that in his frustration. He just can't hide it, too. He just cannot hide his frustration, too. But more than anything, I'm excited that Angus Sampson is on the show. I think he's a terrific actor, and he's going to inject some serious, just out-of-this-world acting. Um, I mean, there's like a difference between Angus Sampson and C. Thomas Howell. C. Thomas Howell... I can see how he's been a B actor. He's very expressive, like very emotive actor. I mean, he does kind of play a little bit in the camp arena, but Angus Sampson actually, he, you'd think that he'd play a B actor, right? But he kind of surprises you by coming out of nowhere and, and kind of uh, overtaking you with how serious he can be. Uh, he, he's, kind of a, he's kind of a chameleon like that, or like um, more like a Trojan horse in, in, in what he is um, as, an, as an actor. Um, yeah, oh, oh yeah. Actually, on the dark two takes Alpha's observation a little bit further. She says, "I noticed that she looked uh, bulked up like a man." I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's an interesting observation." And I didn't want to go that far, but yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But that's uh, that's commitment. That's like um, Charlize Theron commitment, like monster commitment. Oh, there's a little bit of lag in the stream, huh? Um, okay, we've got communities prepping for battle. Um, uh, let's see. Okay, Michonne and Judith. Um, <laughs> Michonne and, uh, and Judith are, are hovering over a resting spot. It looks like Carl's. Um, whatever that represents, maybe it's Michonne doing a, one of Rick's rituals, and that's kind of remembering what this is all about. And maybe that means that she's on board. Um, and then, um, okay, and this is a very important line. Sadiq says, what does it mean for Alexander to survive if the kingdom falls? And Michonne says that Ale it means Alexander survives. And this is basically while you see Ryan Hurst as Beta, that, that like, coda. <laughs> 
um, you know, him imposing and, and, and you immediately see Daryl and him fighting and seeing how imposing Beta is uh, and how like almost implacable a, a, a human being he is. Um, I mean, it almost kind of like makes you think who is taller slash shorter uh, in this scenario because Derek is Norman Reedus looks tiny against Ryan Hurst. And that could just be because Ryan Hurst is on like some sort of got like wearing platforms or something like that but because he looks comically taller than him um and and i in the dark too says i love ryan hurst he's like he's rop <laughs> yeah um but uh yeah and it's just i'm i'm so psyched to see how that character plays out and how they kind of roll him out um oh and of course no scene would be complete without negan ending that off uh at the sanctuary um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm opening up the floor to questions, but uh, from what we're seeing, it looks like we are going to delve a little bit into the past, figure that out. Um, it looks like now that the whispers are out in the open, um, there's a summit, there's going to be uh, a confrontation. I think they're going to back off, draw a line in the sand, kind of like the comics. I think a line is going to get crossed. Now, here's the interesting, interesting question. I thought that we would see more of Mar- Marco in this episode dead wrong <laughs> i'm wondering what what um gustav where gustav gomez's uh character um when he's going to be coming in again because it seemed as though he had some sort of significance in, in the show and i don't really know where he comes in again i mean does he represent the love interest uh i mean who's to tell who's to say but it looks like I mean, it looks like what we're doing here in this in in at this stage in, in the show is a lot. I think they're showing us how to do season seven and eight right. Um, how you can introduce a whole bunch of char- new characters in the field without overwhelming people and with sticking the story in a general setting that makes everything work and kind of flows well. It, it, it's kind of like season seven and eight do over. Um, and I think we're doing that in one season plus, which is fair. I, I, All Out War was supposed to be significant. But it wasn't supposed to be that long for for a two for like an event that's barely um, like two months maybe tops probably a month. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have to say this much: I, I enjoyed very much um, doing this podcast with Miss Maisel, and and of course, I in the dark too, as always. I, I, I this show is this we've been doing this show for more than a year, and it gets better and better, and. And, and that's why I started the show off with um, We Are Squawking Dead, because it really is just about, you know, you, me and the rest. And, and we're all in here asking questions. Um, we're all just squawking about things that are on our mind, as you as we've said, as we've seen. So um, time and time again, um, that um, this show is largely about um, our show. Squawking Dead is about really just saying our mind, talking about shit, you know, making each other laugh, making each other think and uh, really crushing this thing. So, um, you know, let's get more people on here. Um, let's get people to subscribe, listen to the show like subscribe um and follow and uh you know this way you get the notifications i mean if you if you're on the facebooks and the uh and the and the youtubes you'll get uh, and click that bell um you'll get notifications when the show's when the show goes up right away and at least you'll know that uh, an edited version will come slow shortly after so um tune in i, I think you're gonna like what, what we've got to hear and i think with the more um interactions i think we're gonna make a really spirited kind of conversation in fact, I kind of want to see more fights so I can adjudicate. I mean, it's kind of what I what I do at work. It's kind of what I do in life. I'm a peacemaker, sons. Um, and so I kind of want to make some peace. Come on, stir some shit up for me. <laughs> um, but no, in in all seriousness, it's it's in my life. It's all a bit all about. It's all have been about um, 
finding, getting somewhere closer to truth, um, sifting through nonsense um, and filtering that out um, and getting to the heart of what people want um, or, or intend uh, or how they want to run things and do things better. Um, and I, I think overall, like when you really break down people, like, I think people are decent. And I think that um, I think even though some people, when you really break them down, when you break a show down, when you break um, people's intentions down, like you really realize at the heart of every, you know, most people, um, I think people are well-intentioned and they want to do good. I, I just think somewhere along the lines, it gets, <laughs> it gets, goes off the rail. And this show kind of really brings that to the fore. Um, how, like even somebody like Negan, like it, it, a lot of that stuff, all the stuff that he really kind of does is really, it's really kind of well-intentioned. It's kind of, some some way to bring order into society and kind of make things peaceful again. Civil, not civilized necessarily, but you know, good and um, ordered and in, in a fashion that we can actually move on, you know, and, and build something. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. I, I just trying to figure out a way to kind of get people to sound off and speak their truths and their minds and, and their speak to speak to their passions and their ideas and, and really, really get to the heart of some things, you know, even if it means that, you know, writing is subjective, what they want to do with the show is subjective, you know, even though there's maybe not much more to certain things than meets the, than, than meets the eye, you know? So um, with that, thank you so much. Uh, what we're going to be doing from here on in is we're going to be um, stay, pay close attention to our Instagram, our Facebook, our uh, Twitter feeds. What we're going to be doing is um, I'm going to be um, setting up a, a bunch of giveaways during the break. Um, what I want to do more than anything else, the giveaways are great. I mean, it brings more followers. It gets people to pay more attention, keeps eyeballs on, the, on, on Squawking Dead. What I really want to do is I really want to find um, you guys. I really want to find out anyone that's really interested in talking on the show with me. Uh, if <laughs> I know you like staying in the shadows, I in the dark too, but I would love to have you on the show. Um, if you'd like to lend your voice to it um, in real time. Uh, in fact, at any point in the show, if you want to do that, uh, let me know. I can give you the uh, call-in number. I can give you a means to kind of connect via your computer microphone and headphones. Um, but I want to talk to people who really have, uh, who can really bounce things off to, uh, off me in real time and, and react to things in real time. And um, if you're interested in being a host on the show, let me know. Uh, info at squawkingdead.com. You can hit me up on the website, squawkingdead.com. There's like a... There's a little uh, kind of a chat button on the bottom right where you can actually either Facebook message us or um, Twitter DM us. Um, so do it. I mean, look, we're a small show. There's not many people watching uh, live. I mean, what, what's uh, what's it going to be? What are you going to do? You can't you can't uh, can't run away from this. This is your destiny. Um, it's calling. So uh, answer it <laughs> with that. I wish you guys a terrific break. I hope that we can maybe meet again next week or the week after and maybe do some fun things uh, that aren't directly related to crushing episodes to a, to a dust. Um, and uh, maybe we could play some trivia together. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> trivia. I got like a little trivia game uh, last year from Superfan Rob uh, that I've been meaning to play with Carol on air. Um, but we'll get there. Maybe I'll play with you guys instead. <laughs> I'll just flip the cards for you on a digital camera and then uh, we'll see how you guys shake out. Um, in the meantime, have a great break. I'm really excited to see what happens. But in the meantime, we'll be re-watching a whole bunch of shows and, <laughs> and super analyzing things in the interim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk in private. Uh, I in the Dark too about that hosting thing. And with that, everybody, if you have any questions or comments, like us, subscribe us, do whatever it needs to do to engage with us more. 
let us know how we did um, and give us ideas you know whatever's on your mind lay it on us we're listening uh, this is David Cameo we are Squawking Dead and I'll see you guys really soon take care everybody <laughs> <laughs>